last week I started the study on authentic Christianity and, it, and like uh, I was sharing last week, it really is a challenge. It really is a challenge, especially in today's world where the world is always looking to point a finger and tear down, you know, Christians and Christian faith and belief. And so it is a challenge to live authentic Christian lives and because uh, the world wants to see authentic. That's what it's all about is real and authentic faith and real and authentic Christianity. And we're talking about this in terms of uh, identity. We're talking about this in terms of identifying markers of authentic Christianity and uh, We shared, I mean, like I was talking about last week, introduced it last week. We have the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we have faith, hope, love. And and once again, I encourage you all to engage with these. And uh, again, whether you're watching online or watch it later, again, I I encourage you to engage with these points. Because what are the marks of authentic Christianity? And I need to be very careful and make sure we're not talking about how to be a perfect Christian. Because that's never going to happen. Don't even portray. Please don't even try and portray that. Because when you try and picture and portray perfection. And then you will fall. Because that's what the Bible says. We're not going to be perfect. But then when you have this stand and portray perfection. And someone else sees imperfection. They're going to be turned away from the faith. So I'm not talking about how to be perfect Christians. I'm talking about authentic and real Christians. And when I studied and, and read through and preparing for uh, this whole idea, I realized more and more that authenticity doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You don't put on uh, your Christian faith one day and the next day you bear fruit. That does not happen. Bearing fruit takes time. It's a process and, and this process of spiritual growth and maturity that we talked about last week. And this morning I want to talk about what I was going to talk about last week on faith and authentic faith, identifying markers of authentic Christianity. As Christians, we we know this. We've, We've been brought up in church. We know this idea that it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is such a basic fundamental characteristic of authentic Christianity. As believers, we also encourage what? We live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And I've been reading and rereading Hebrews and Hebrews 11. We know it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith or, you know, there's so many different Names that this chapter is called because it portrays so many, so many people who've displayed faith. Yeah. And you realize that Hebrews chapter 11 is this amazing faith chapter, but it's actually set up by a few verses earlier in chapter 10. Chapter 10 verse 38, which really says what? The righteous or the just shall live by faith. And we see that throughout, uh, throughout uh, the Bible. We see that again Three, four times, probably five times, I don't know, I forget the exact number. But it's repeated that the righteous shall live or the just shall live by faith. And the author of Hebrews goes on 
in chapter one to describe, chapter 11, verse 1, to describe what faith is about. Now, faith is what? The confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. It's the confidence in what we hope for. Again, it's not just hoping, wishing for something. It's confident assurance. The confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And he goes on to list all these incredible people in the Old Testament. And he always uses this phrase, by faith. By faith. Several times, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. And he goes, Joseph, Moses. By faith, Rahab. I mean, it's pretty uh, remarkable and almost ridiculous that she mentions Rahab, a Gentile, a woman, and a prostitute. But yet she's mentioned in this, and we'll pick up Abraham and Rahab later. But the author of Hebrews seems to emphasize the same central premise of the whole Bible, and especially the New Testament, about being justified by faith and not by works. We see that all, and that's his point he's trying to make. Please remember, the audience of the book of Hebrews is Jewish people. And he's trying to say, hey, this this thing we're talking about, about faith in Jesus Christ is not something new. All these characters in the Old Testament too, they were saved and they were justified by faith and not by works. They were saved by faith. But then we come to the next book in the Bible, which is James. And that kind of turns things around a little, right? You turn with me to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It's, it's one of my, I can say, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, but also the most in, in uh, what's the word should I use? The most annoying to me because it challenges me so much. And it should challenge all of us because so, it makes faith so inconvenient sometimes. But as much as we are saved by faith, James puts a different spin on faith itself. And I want us to look at what authentic faith is, looks like through the eyes of James. Again, uh, I love this passage. I've preached it, taught on it several times. James chapter 2, verses 14, and I want to read from the New American uh, this Sunday. It says, what use is it? That's a question. He starts off with a question. What use is it, my brothers and sisters? By the way, this is the only time in verse 15. Uh, We'll come to it real quick. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? It's a rhetorical question, but the obvious answer is no. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, you do not give them, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Begs the same answer, it's of no use at all. In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead. Is dead being by itself. Verse 18. But someone may well say. And he's, he's kind of agreeing with this person a little. Someone may well say. You have faith and I have works. 
But he says what? Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. I mean, he's commending him. But the demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, Rahab, the prostitute, was not justified by works. Sorry, was Rahab, the prostitute, not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The point, the, the whole idea of being dead, it's, it's more paints the picture of something that stinks. It's rotten. Faith without works is dead. Church, the truth is there are a lot of people who say they are Christians and genuinely think they are Christians, but they really are not Christians. And in this passage, James talks about the difference between what's real Christianity versus authentic Christianity versus counterfeit Christianity. And he challenges us about what does it mean to be and have authentic faith. And Before we get into it, we have to admit, first of all, on the surface, we've just read Hebrews that's talked about faith and without works, and here he seems to to be saying, James seems to be saying, the exact opposite. And I know a lot of people get upset with this, but you realize when you study it carefully that they're not saying things that are contradicting each other at all. It's important to really understand what James is saying because a lot of people use James to prove that you need works to get into heaven. That's not what James is saying at all. We need to get that clear and and there should never be any doubt about this because the Bible and the New Testament especially speaks about this. We are saved how? Salvation is what? By grace through? Through faith. That's it. There's no doubt. It's by grace through faith. But James, hey, James says what? Faith and works here. Come on, which one is right? And then you understand that the author of Hebrews, very similar to Paul, is saying what? Faith alone, by faith, by faith, by faith. He repeats that several times. So Hebrews, the author of Hebrews and Paul says by faith, but James seems to suggest faith and works. And this is the confusion. Even the great Martin Luther who started the whole Protestant church, he, he did not like, he called James the book of straw because of the same reason. He didn't agree with it. And a lot of people after and before him have made the same mistake because they have not understood the emphasis of James. They are both saying the right thing because they're really talking about the same things from two different perspectives. And we need to understand they're talking about two different aspects of faith. If you, like I said, 
if you can draw in your mind, you know, if you have a blank page, and I do this in school very often, draw a line right down the middle. You put Paul and the author of Hebrews on one side and put James on the other side. Because we'll make, we got to make sure that we, we know what we're talking about here. Paul is saying how we are saved versus James is saying, if you are saved, why don't you behave like you are saved? Paul is teaching us or telling us about how we are saved and James questioning, now behave, act like you are saved. Or why aren't you acting like you are saved? It's funny because I'm listening to uh, a sermon about this too. Uh, and starting this, it's just kind of interesting because I came across uh, that song. Uh, if you're happy and you know it, what? Clap your hands. You know, if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, shout, Amen. And then come to America and you have, if you're saved, I mean, you know it. How many of you have sung that part? <laughs> if you're saved and you know it, what? Clap your hands. I mean, probably the most theologically sound song you can teach a kid. I, guess, I don't know. <laughs> it's just clap your hands, I guess. Stomp your feet. I don't know what stomping your feet has to do with being saved, but we sing it anyway. But we know that song. If you're saved and you know it, then your life that is profound, and I think that's exactly what James is trying to say. If you're saved and you know it, does your life really show it? Because if it doesn't show it, are you really saved? It's a valid question, and I think it needs to be answered and needs to challenge each and every one of us. Because as one pastor said, genuine faith needs to produce genuine works. And if it, doesn't, if it doesn't, you need to question whether your faith is genuine at all. And to be honest, through the years I have met a lot of people who have come to me when I've preached and taught on this message. And, and, and some of them have been very upset with me because, you know, and they tell me, you can't judge my faith. You know, it's between me and the Lord and... I have said to them, you are right. Your faith is between you and God. I'm not judging a person's faith. What I'm looking for is evidence of your faith. Amen. Amen. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Anyway, James and Paul are talking about different aspects of faith. It's not a contradiction. Paul, in most of his letters, is fighting the problem of legalism. He's fighting the, uh, the whole, whole aspect of legalism, the problem that I've got to keep, keep following the Jewish laws and traditions and regulations in order to be a question. We talked about that through the book of Galatians. That's Paul's main emphasis right there. James is not fighting legalism, uh, but Christian complacency, if you want to call it that. It's those who say it doesn't matter what you do as long as you just believe. And he says, no. They're fighting basically two different, addressing two different groups of people, though they use the same word, works. It's different. They're using it very, very differently. As someone said, you know, Paul is talking about the root of salvation when he talks about, he says he's talking about the, or focusing on the root of salvation versus James is focusing on the fruit of salvation. I think that's really good. What happens on the outside? Paul uses the word works very often. He's talking about like laws of circumcision and everything else. 
James is talking about the life we're supposed to live as Christians. Acts of love. James is saying what others said before him too. Faith is never alone, though we are saved by faith alone. Let me say that again. Faith is never alone, though we are saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. But James says, hey, after salvation, there are supposed to be things that, that should happen in your life that show that you are saved. Again, by faith alone, uh, we are saved by, by grace, right? Through faith. There's no, there's no changing that. But we need to have evidence for the faith we proclaim we have. We need to really understand, James says this, your, faith, your works validate your faith. Your works validate, validate your faith. And so look at this passage. There are five basic principles that, that stand out here. Authentic Christian faith. When he talks about role in verse 14, it has to be more than a confession and talk. You can't just confess, oh, yes, I have Jesus. That's it. It has to be more than just a talk or something you say. Real faith is not something he said, you just say or talk about. What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And the obvious answer is no. It doesn't say he actually has faith. It says he claims to have faith. He talks about it. He knows a lot of the right things to say at the right time. Like a lot of people we have in church who know what to say. They say around 50 million people claim to be born again. But do we really see it in their lifestyle? Today we tend to uh, very easily label a person a Christian if they say a few words that even sound like Christian, you know? Yeah. And we post it on Facebook, like, yeah, but no, he's not really a Christian. Right. Thinking about a popular, really rap or modern singer who said a few things about Jesus and everybody jumped on that, but no, his life does not show that he's a Christian at all. Right. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. We know that already. Right. So let's yeah. not categorize a person just because he says something good. Just because someone has a bumper sticker with the fist sign on it doesn't mean anything, right? Can such faith save him? What's the value of such kind of faith? Nothing. Because it cannot, cannot, cannot save him. What's the point of having this kind of faith? That's what he's trying to say here. What's the point of having this kind of faith? What's the point of having a driver's license if you don't know how to drive? Useless. Just a piece of paper, a card that you put in your pocket. I read something really cool actually this week uh, about a person who runs a lifeguard company. It's kind of really interesting. I don't know if you all read this. It just came out recently about and they interviewed this person because people come to this person and hire, hire lifeguards for a pool party or something they have so that the parents can relax because whenever you have a party where there's a, uh, there's a pool, parents are always on edge, right? So they go to this company and I thought it was a great idea. Never heard of it before. Pretty cool. So he has lifeguards and people hire these lifeguards when they have a pool party, you know, or whatever. There's a pool and there's kids or whatever they have. So I thought it was pretty cool. Anyway, this lifeguard, just imagine this lifeguard shows up at your house and he has a certificate that says, you know, lifeguard certified, but there's one problem, he doesn't know how to swim. 
how does that even help us, right? Same thing. That's the same exact thing. You can have a piece of paper that says you're a Christian, you know. I'm a car- I, they, they don't say it much now, and I've used this phrase probably. I'm a card-carrying Christian. You know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. But what's the point? If your life doesn't show, what's the point? Amen. What is the point? It's useless, he says. Real faith is not something you just talk about or brag about. I'll show on a piece of paper that I was baptized when I was, what, five years old. I don't know. I don't care. If your life does not show your faith is not accompanied by your works, it means nothing. Amen. Is that faith real? The obvious answer is no. That's what James is getting at here. That's not authentic faith. Let's keep going in verse 15. He talks about authentic faith. It's not just about saying something. It's not even about the emotions that you feel. Authentic Christianity is always accompanied by genuine love. And genuine love is not a feeling or an emotion. You need to understand that authentic Christian faith is always accompanied by genuine love. There are a lot of people who confuse emotions and sentiment for faith and that's not it. Like I said, you know and I know a number of people who've experienced God. You know, at least from the outward, they see that they've had an amazing experience with God at the altar, but they go back and the life hasn't changed. Is that really authentic? Now, I can't sit there and question whether they really met God. I'm not going to question in that. But if your life doesn't tell that you have genuinely been changed and transformed by the love of Christ, it means nothing. It really means nothing. You can go to church and be moved with emotions, but it never makes a difference Unless your life is truly transformed, that faith is useless. We cannot be driven by that emotion. It's genuine transformation that we are looking for. And he illustrates this point. Suppose a brother and a sister is without, or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, and he's talking of them, Go, I wish you well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? What good is it if you see someone in need and you say, hey man, I really feel for you, but do nothing about it. That's what he's saying right there. You have the means, you have the energy to make a difference, but you're not doing anything besides saying, hey, I really feel bad for what you're going through right now. I'm so sorry. That faith is useless. That is not authentic, authentic faith. And let's be honest, there are a lot of Christians who feel bad about stuff but don't do enough or don't do anything when they can do something. Of course, there are many excuses that we come up with for not do something, right? Because real faith is more than just feeling bad for someone. You have to do something about it. It. And again, James is practical and I will be practical as well. I know and I understand that we cannot meet everybody's need. That's just the truth. We cannot do everything, but we can all do something. That's the point. We cannot, all, we cannot do everything, but we can all do something. Real faith takes the initiative. A real believer has real faith and it's practical. He gets involved in people's life in every way he can or she can. Again, the thrust of the verse that you get here is authentic faith is always accompanied by love or genuine love for one's brother 
are one sister. For a fellow believer, if you just want to call it that. If you go to 1 John 3.17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? It's not just James who talks about this here. This is John. 1 John 3.17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Church, authentic faith is always accompanied by Genuine love. Genuine love. You want to give. You want to be generous. I ask this question to many people. How many Christians or brothers can call you, have the freedom to call you in the middle of the night if you have an emergency? We need people who don't just talk the talk. We don't need people who just feel bad. We need people who put their faith into action because faith without works is dead. Again, church, please remember this. I may not be able to do everything, but I can do something and that working that something is genuine faith. Amen. He says this there in verse 17. Faith that is not accompanied by action is dead. And the idea there of dead is it stinks really. It's repulsive. I don't feel like helping others, but when I don't feel like it, that's when my faith is, it really stinks. Authentic faith is more than just saying something or confessing something. It's more than just having an emotional high and having these feelings. It's always accompanied by action. Let's go to verse 18. Authentic faith is definitely more than an intellectual pursuit. I've always come to this verse time and time and time again to remind myself that it has to be more than just an intellectual pursuit. Because James is putting himself up, if you want to call it an intellectual objector. He says, some may say, verse 18, you have faith, I have deeds. And so James is picturing an intellectual guy who says, you know, you're into faith, but I'm into works. That's cool. You've got your thing, but I've got mine. To each his own, basically. And here's the situation he's... James is talking about, to put it in today's world, it's people who love to study and debate about God and the Bible, etc. You know, everything else, but they're not, they're, that's not a bad thing. But the issue is this, it's all about knowledge to them with no commitment. Yeah. It's all about knowledge with no genuine commitment to Christ because they get excited about studying the historical Jesus, but they're not interested in making him Lord over their lives. What does James say about that? Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. I love this two words. Show me. Show me. It's visible. Authentic faith is visible. It's apparent. It's open for all to see. It's clear for those who say they are genuine Christians and have faith. It's visible. If you claim to be a Christian, are people able to see what Christianity and authentic Christianity, authentic faith is about. Is it clearly visible? We all know people who call themselves Christians, who talk the talk, you know, go to church, and, uh, but nobody really knows for sure whether they're saved or not because they show up, that's it. Mm -hmm. Only God knows whether they're saved or not. Anyway, James says, show me. 
Show me. If you claim to be a Christian, I have the right to ask. Prove it. Does your life prove that you have genuine faith? You can't see faith. I really can't see faith, but I can sure see the effects of faith in your life. I can see the evidence of faith in your life. I may never be able to see your faith. And please understand, there is no such thing as secret faith. There's no thing as secret faith. Because real faith is visible to everybody. Authentic faith is visible to everybody. If you are saying you're a a Christian, prove it. Let me see your actions, that your actions back up what your words say. Let's see that your walk matches your talk. I heard this illustration also, and I kind of enjoyed it because football season is just around the corner, right? Amen. And so he's saying, just imagine, just imagine, you know, there's a Monday night game. And Monday night games are on television, right? It's, everybody gets to see it. And then the home team coach, you know, meets with the visitor's coach. And he meets him and he tells the home team, the coach tells the other guy, hey, we're a great team. We're well prepared. We're stronger. We're faster. We're just better than you all. And you know what? We don't have to prove it to you tomorrow. I mean, we don't have to show you that we are better, that we are the better team on the field. We don't have to display or demonstrate it tomorrow. The visitor looks at him and says, hey, that's awesome. We'll meet you down there on the field. You show up and do exactly what you're saying, which is nothing, because you don't have to prove it to anybody else. Can you imagine what the score is going to be? <laughs> like 200 to zero. I don't know. You show up and don't play, you know, because don't, you don't have to prove it to anybody else. But that's exactly, that's how ridiculous it sounds when a Christian says, you know, I got faith, I don't have to prove it to you. That's the truth. You don't have to prove it to anybody else, but it is evident for everybody to see that you are prepared, that you genuinely love God, you love your neighbor. The evidence is for all to see. Genuine, genuine faith. Authentic faith is visible. It's never, never a secret. It's like the 4th of July, those artillery shells. They get it right? You fire off, you know. You may be far away. You might not see the fuse being lit. You might not see it going up in the air. But when it explodes, it's evident for everybody. Yeah. That's what authentic faith is like. Evident. You cannot miss authentic faith. You cannot miss real faith. I don't see how some, somebody uh, as big as our God comes and dwells in us and doesn't make a difference. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, how can it not be plain and evident to those around you? Again, let's be careful not to reduce faith to just an intellectual knowledge kind of thing. It's about showing that you are, show it, prove it. Authentic faith results, faith results in real transformation, which is evident for all to see. It's not something you say. It's not something you just have an emotional feeling about. It's not something you have in your head. It's something real. And then this. Real faith. Verse, nine, verse 19. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the de- demons believe that and shudder. Real faith is more than just knowing and believing. Now this is tricky right here. 
There are a lot of people who have strong beliefs in God. They have strong beliefs in the Bible, strong beliefs in Christ. And James says, so what? So what? Because even the demons believe. And they shudder. Just saying, I believe in God is not enough to get you into heaven. Because even the devils believe in God. In one God. I mean, I heard someone say this. The devil is a better theologian than you are because he's been around much longer. I mean, the devil may be able to recite, and of course, James is talking about Deuteronomy 6.4 here, about one God, you know, the confession, the Shema. There is one God. Yes, there is one God, and you may believe that. But that means nothing, because again, the devil knows God, you know, he knows the Bible backwards and forwards. He believes, and the demons, it shudder. They say it shudder, and they believe, and they tremble. And you definitely have to get this, the sarcasm in uh, how sarcastic he's being here. Because interesting use of the word shudder, and it's only used here in the New Testament, uh, in the Bible, basically. And it simply means, literally translated, it means uneven skin, which talks about what? Having goosebumps. And so when the devils think about, yeah, they believe in one God and they shudder and it gets go- they get goosebumps, basically. So don't reduce goosebumps to the move of the Holy Spirit either, right? <laughs> but they believe, so what? I believe in God, big deal. Everybody believes in God, but that's not enough. You've got to do more than just say, I believe. I'm a Christian, but do I have a real desire for God? I know a lot of people who have no, they say they believe in God, but they have no desire for God. They have no desire for spending time in His presence. They have no desire to, you know, be in church or the things of God, nothing. And so you'll have to question that. Hey, is that real faith? Oh, I just need to stay at home. And you can be the best Christian staying at home, right? But you can't be a real Christian staying at home. You know, I just want to, so many people, I just want to slip in and slip out. You know, slip in and slip out. I serve when it's convenient. I tithe when I feel like it, because the church wants my money, of course. And then, you know, I love others when I know they love me back. Just give me a few things. But there are a lot of Christians who know a lot about God and act just the same way. But that's not authentic real faith. And James challenges them. Yeah. Challenges them. Is that real? Is that real faith? Because these people know, but there is no commitment at all. They follow a Christianity of convenience rather than a Christianity of commitment. That's not really believing. That's not real. He'd say, that's fake. And what does James have to such a person? Very strong words in verse 20. You fool. Foolish person. Because you may fool us all, but guess what? You're fooling yourself too, but you're never going to fool God. You foolish person. You're just fooling yourself, like I said, by thinking and feeling, but not really being an authentic Christian. And then, of course, he uses these examples right at the end, which I want to parallel with, James, uh, with Hebrews 11. Real faith is something we show and something we do. It's an action. That's, it's accompanied. As one pastor said, faith is always accompanied by action. You cannot have faith without love. Faith is always, just as you cannot have faith without love, faith is always accompanied by action. 
always accompanied by action. You cannot have one with another. Another pastor said this, faith is demonstrated by obedience. It's demonstrated by obedience. Verse 20, it says in the next couple of verses, he goes on to give the examples of real faith. And he chooses who? Abraham and uh, Rahab. Faith is active. It's not passive. It takes and demands a commitment, total commitment. And that's exactly what we see in the lives of Abraham and Rahab. And again, it's really interesting that he uses the same example, these two examples, because they're exactly opposite of each other. Abraham's this great man. And Rahab was, she didn't have a great reputation as a woman. I mean, Abraham, if you want to call it, he's a Jew called by God. Rahab is a Gentile. Who was she? Uh, Is she an Amalekite or an Ammonite? I forget who she was. But anyway, she was a Gentile. Abraham is a patriarch. Rahab is a prostitute. Abraham is somebody. He had great wealth, honored in society. Rahab was a nobody. She didn't have the money, you know, and the only reputation she had wasn't a good one at all. It's kind of interesting that he uses these examples because Abraham is such a major character in the Bible. Rahab is a minor character, but they both make the Hall of Fame, if you want to call it that. They both do. That's why it's kind of interesting that Hebrews uses them. He illustrates this. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, illustrates the whole point here. It doesn't matter who you are as long as you have faith, but also act in obedience to that faith. The only thing that had common between Abraham and Rahab was this, their faith in God. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that they had in common. And their faith in God led led them to act in a certain way. Okay, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And now he points to this. Was not our father, our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? His faith and his actions were working together. His faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. I love those two, uh, two sentences there. His faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. It does not say that he was saved by what he did. Please be careful. He wasn't saved by what he did. It says his faith was made complete by what he did. Like I said in the beginning, his actions validated his faith. His actions validated his faith, that word is really, uh, that word complete is really, uh, really amazing because it's similar to the whole idea of Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished. That's the idea you get here. There's this idea of completion, perfection, maturity. His faith was made perfect by his actions. His faith was made perfect by his actions Scripture was fulfilled when it says, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as he was called God's friend. He was called God's friend. You know the story. It's just an amazing, amazing story that, you know, where Abraham is called, God tells him, you know, that he has to go give up Isaac, his son. Please understand, this has nothing to do with salvation right there. This whole story has nothing to do with salvation. But he's making a point here. He took his son, you know, he did all that was required of a man with faith, genuine faith. 
He cut the wood. What else? He built the altar. He tied up his son, basically, and placed him on that altar as well, ready to sacrifice. That's what faith was all about. We'll talk about why and everything else another time. But Abraham was about to sacrifice him. He wasn't just talking and thinking or just believing. He was putting his faith into action because God said it and he would do it. Amen. God said it and he would do it. Just imagine throughout the Bible and Hebrews, there were people, you talk about this time and time again, how many of us try and reason with God when God tells us to do something? Because that is what faith in action really looks like. It's obedience. You have to reason with God, you know, try and figure out, you know, let's talk about this a little doesn't matter how ridiculous it is, walking around the city and, you know, seven times. Why? How does that make a difference? It makes a difference when you obey. Your faith is made complete in your obedience to God. Amen. We know that part, that Abraham believed God. And then he talks about Rahab, again, the story of Joshua 2. Again, it's absolutely uh, remarkable. And, and the idea here that if anyone was saved by works, it could not have been Rahab because her works deserve nothing. But it was her belief and then her obedience when she hit the, uh, the spies and told them to go another way. That is what he commands. Our faith is not determined by what we do. It, demonstrate, it is demonstrated and made complete by what we do. Let me say that again. Our faith is not determined by what we do. It is demonstrated and made complete by what we do. In the very sense, talk is cheap, church. James would say, prove it. That's it. Prove it. Show it. Our faith is demonstrated by the actions. And of course, we know actions always speak louder than words. Amen. Our behavior, the way we live our life, shows whether we are authentic Christians or not. Amen. Examine yourselves whether you're in the faith or not. Whether you have genuine, genuine faith. Authentic, authentic faith. When people see you, the way you live your life, can they really say, this man or this woman has authentic faith? Because that's what James is about. It's clearly, clearly evidence we are saved by grace. Again, please remember this. We are saved by grace through faith, and that's it. Amen. But real faith is visible to everybody. Authentic faith Amen. is visible for everybody. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for this challenge of God, because talking about an, an identity marker of an authentic Christian it's authentic faith. Again, can we fake it? Yes. But let me tell you this. You're just fooling yourself if you try and fake it. But please understand, your actions, your actions, what you do is evidence of genuine faith. Our attitudes and our actions need to line up with the faith we profess, church. That's the truth. Our attitudes and our actions need to match up, line up with the faith we say we have. Amen. God in His grace reaches down to us, church. He... he He reveals himself to us in his grace. You know, and he, he, 
you know, I want this relationship with you. That's why I sent my son, Jesus Christ. And we respond to him and, and our honest desire is to have a relationship with him too. Yes, salvation is by grace through faith and not dependent on anything we do, church. Don't ever get that confused. By grace through faith for good works, it actually says. But faith without action, faith without deeds, faith without works is death. question is simple. It's not so, it's nothing complicated. It's simple. Does my life reflect the faith that I proclaim? That's it. It's not about just talking the talk. It's about walking the talk. It's not about just feeling something. It's about acting on it. It's not about just knowing or believing itself. It's not just an intellectual pursuit, church. It's about being wholeheartedly sold out and making Him Lord. Knowing everything that there is to know about Christ without a commitment to Him means nothing. Faith is always demonstrated by our actions of genuine love, accompanied by genuine love, demonstrated by our obedience, no matter how ridiculous it is. It's by faith that we please God. always challenges me, church, this portion. I want to be an authentic Christian. May my lives, my words, my actions reflect what Christ has done in my life. So I'll stand to a feet and worship God for a minute.
transformation that Jesus brings in our life, God, will be evident to God in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions, God. Church, it's not about perfection. It's about being authentic. Does your attitude, that's what James would ask you right now, does your attitude, do your words, and do your actions reflect authentic faith? time I think about it, I can think about things in my, just these past few weeks that I'm like, man, that wasn't really authentic, was it? My attitude, my, something I said or something I did, I'm like, it's not for us to get down on ourselves, church, it's, it's for us to genuinely seek, seek God. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord, for a challenge, oh Lord. As much as faith is holding on to God and His promises, and we'll talk about that next time, but let's know that faith is not just about talk. It's about walking the walk as well. Faith is not just about saying you believe, but your life doesn't match up. It's about being authentic in the way you live your life. Yes, God. 
more than just the emotional high or just feeling bad. It's about doing something when you can do something again, church. This genuine faith does is accompanied by genuine love for our brother and our sister. Jesus, thank you, God. Lord, I pray, God, that it'll be more than just an intellectual knowledge gaining enterprise, Lord. It'll be genuine, God, in the way we live our lives. God, there's not much to say, church. It's just a challenge for each one of us. It's pretty simple. Engage with it. Challenge yourself and allow God's word to challenge you as you live your lives. Reflect on what James is saying. Because faith without deeds is empty. Faith without deeds is dead. It stinks. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord. I pray, God, that your word will just keep challenging our hearts, Lord. As we pursue you, O God, Lord, I pray that we will become more like you. I pray that you will be evident to God. You will be evident to God in the things we say and the things we do, Lord. And in our attitude too, God. We praise you, God. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a wonderful day. Wonderful week.